What's up, everybody? I'm back for another installment of the Bus Stop Podcast. We'll talk NBA once again, Game 5 last night uh, for Denver and the Suns Sixers Celtics. We'll review those. We'll also preview the Heat Knicks, Lakers Warriors. Then the NFL schedule, a couple of games uh, for their prime time have already been released. And some of the overseas have been released. So we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that and go into a little bit more depth as well as why the NFL schedule release has become such a big deal here on the Bus Stop Podcast. What on earth happened to Celtics? They were arguably the probably the best team in the NBA during the regular season. And they looked like they were going back uh, to the Eastern Conference Finals. It was a sure thing. Uh, right now, uh, the 76ers, they're up 3-2 going into game six. I don't know what has gone on with this being a new coaching staff for the Celtics this year. I don't know if that's really the difference. But when you look at the box score from last night, they lost 115 to 103. And Al Horford can't be on the floor for 25 minutes and not give you a single point. Marcus Smart, he had 14 in 34. Derek White had seven. You can't have that from Derek White. He was on the floor for 34 minutes. Okay, that's the same amount of time that Jalen Brown was on the floor, and Jalen Brown got you 24. Malcolm Brogdon, he had seven in 26 minutes. So really, the scoring was left to Tatum and Brown, who had 36 and 24. Robert Williams last year was a huge uh, difference maker for the Celtics as far as being the big down there. I just think after his injury, he still isn't the same guy and he probably won't be until maybe next year. But that was a big bright spot for, you know, for them last year. Then you look at on the other side, everybody came and contributed uh, PJ Tucker is probably the only outlier who had three points at 34 minutes for the 76ers, but Tobias Harris gave you 16 on 31. Joel Embiid, you know, 33 points on 37 minutes. Maxi 30 on 42, which was huge. Maxi definitely stepped up, and he's one of those kid, you know, younger guys that is going to be a, a star in this league as he continues to get his confidence up. James Harden had 17 on 39, so they finally started to slow him down. But Daniel House Jr., he had 10 points in 15. That's huge. Guy coming off the bench and giving you 10 points in 15 minutes is big, and that's probably one of the bigger uh, difference makers. Uh, last night, I just, I'm having trouble figuring out what is going on with Boston. And I want to think that it's having to do with its coaching staff. I just, I, it's a different feel. The defense doesn't feel the same to me. It doesn't feel the same as far as defense goes, as far as offense goes. Uh, I just begin to wonder. 
Joe Mazzula, uh, who is a very capable coach. Uh, I just think that his bench and his team question him sometimes. It is his first year, and he has a very good team, but he'll be around for some time if if they allow him to grow. Brad Stevens, who's in the front office, I think doesn't want to pull the trigger on Manzula so quick. But the Celtics looked so great during the regular season, and now Embiid, there was a window where Embiid didn't look all that great, remember, uh, just a couple of games back. He came back uh, after James Harden held down the fort, didn't look as healthy, and I thought there was a moment there where Boston could capitalize on that, and they didn't. And now the worry, if you're a Celtics fan, is Joel Embiid is getting healthier by the, I would say, by the minute. Not by the hour, not by the day, but by the minute. His knee does have a tear. That is not going to change, but his confidence with playing with it and his body reacting to it and him just feeling healthier with the confidence. He took the, the sleeve off middle of the game last night. If you watch the game, you know, he would go, he wouldn't necessarily go on the bench. He would go to like the, like the tunnel, if you will. And I think he's, you know, staying on the bike, keep the knee warm, doesn't want his body to get tight. He's doing everything he can to stay out there. And that's why they're up 3-2. But with every passing second, the 76ers are looking better and better, which then sets up, you know, an interesting matchup with Miami Heat. But can Boston win two more? I don't know. They've struggled. Last night, it started off okay, 26-33, end of the first. That's a seven-point deficit. That's not big in NBA playoff uh, conversations. Then the second quarter, the scoring was 25-23. So the Celtics are, you know, they lost two there. So now they're going into halftime down nine. Still manageable, right? It's manageable. It's doable. Then in the third quarter, they, they get outscored by seven. So they never really cut into it. They only cut into it in the fourth quarter, but by then it's already over. They outscored them in the fourth, 31-27. Not good enough. You go into halftime down nine. I think the rule is always in the third, we have to cut into half of it. So if that was the case, Boston would have flipped that. They would have flipped it and at least outscored them by four or five. Tatum and Brown are, without a doubt, the one and two there. Okay, they scored 60 points combined, more than half of the 103. But Horford can't give you zero. And Derek White and Malcolm Brodon, who are the rotators, cannot combine for 14. The bench is just deeper right now in 76er land than it is with Boston. So now I start to wonder, but the problem that I have going back and forth with this is that it's Doc Rivers. (laughs) It's a Doc Rivers-led 76ers. And if we know anything from Doc Rivers is that 3-1 and 3-2 are not safe enough for the teams that he's coached. And that's not to, to be mean. That's not to be, you know, uh, you know, cheeky about it. But it, it's true. Doc Rivers has had a troubled time, no matter the talent, 
closing out series. It's been happening since Doc Rivers was a coach in the early 2000s. It's it's always been a problem for him. And so I, I wouldn't rest my hat on the Sixers closing it out. And anything can happen with the Sixers. I, don't, I just don't know. But can Boston win two after how they played this series? I don't know. But what I do know is that both sides are extremely wide open, the East and the West. The Knicks are favored tonight against Miami, which I can see it, but if they win tonight, the Knicks, we're only going back to Miami for one. There's no way this this series goes to game seven. I just don't, don't see it that way, and I don't want to believe that that is true. So if the Knicks win tonight, we're only going back to Miami for, I would say, a formality, really. But Jimmy Butler, when he smells blood in the water, that man is a different human being. So Jimmy Butler very well might carry this team for one. So there's not, there's not much to debate there, but uh, I would just think Cleveland, they have, they're going to catch a stray for this, but Cleveland should feel a little embarrassed. They lost to the Knicks, and the Knicks are getting spanked by the Heat. Cleveland have have some shame, please. But for the most part, I just think Jimmy Butler, he's trying to fight the fact that people don't talk about him enough. We don't really give him enough attention. We don't mention him in the superstar category. Let's not forget in 2020, he was there against LA in the finals. I know a lot of people want to put a bubble on the asterisk, but he was there. The Heat made it, given the circumstances. So, you know, you have to give them their flowers. But I, I really do think Eric Spolstra is a terrific coach, coach, and the culture in Miami is the real deal. That is why they're constantly around. I know that they, they got in at the last second of the eighth seed. I know they... They hovered into it, but they were there. That culture let them flip that switch when they needed it, and they stayed alive. Eric Spolstra's had a ton of talent come through, and and time and time again, we've talked about the Heat as long as he's been the coach. So I I believe in the Heat culture, and I believe they're a team that will always be around regardless. And so they should tonight 4-1, even though the Knicks are favored. Look in the West, last night, Denver kind of got back uh, onto business. I, I really thought when this thing was 2-0 in favor of Denver that they would just gentlemen sweep it 4-1, but then Booker sort of woke up, you know, Kevin Durant woke up, but then the thing that always happens with the Suns, and not just the Suns, but the thing that always happens with Chris Paul, he gets injured, doesn't play last night, and that's always a telltale. If Chris Paul is not in the lineup, it's not because of Chris Paul's stats. It's not because of Chris Paul's shooting ability. It's what he does when he does it. That's the difference when you have Chris Paul, who's very savvy with the rule book. For one, he's very savvy on the court, and he's a field general. If you don't have Chris Paul, it seems like the team just cannot function without him. So we'll see if he comes back for game six. By the way, Joker and the Suns owner. Hugged it out after their their scuffle a game ago. 
good to see that. That's good stuff. But you look at Michael Porter Jr., he was uh, he started on fire. Michael Porter Jr. had 19 points off of 28 minutes. Then uh, Jokic with 29 off of 38 minutes. And uh, Jamal Murray had 19 on 37. And then Bruce Brown Jr., got to talk about him, 25 points off of 27 minutes, almost one point per minute. That is incredible. Right, Bruce Brown Jr. So a good uh, overall steps. You see, you know, Aaron Gordon had 10. So we have a lot of double digits here. We have one, two, three, four, five guys that were in double digits last night for Denver. And then we only had three for Phoenix. Kevin Durant had 26 off of 42, almost had a triple double. DeAndre Aiden, who I'm still, he forever lives in my doghouse. He does not play like a big, should be playing at his size. He should have been Dwight Howard 2.0 with his build, and yet we've never seen DeAndre Ayton be that on a consistent level. 14 points, 9 rebounds off 32 minutes. Kevin Durant had more rebounds. He only had 3 more rebounds than Devin Booker. Think about that. 3 more rebounds than Devin Booker. That is terrible from DeAndre Ayton. The guy has to live in double-double world with points and rebounds. Devin Booker had 28 off of 41, so him and Durant combined for more than 50. But again, no help from Phoenix. They were missing Chris Paul. I really think, though, Denver really dropped the ball after being up 2-0. They might salvage this. But the more that they make this a series with six and seven, the more of a shot Chris Paul gets healthy and you potentially blow your chance. But I, I cannot stress it enough with DeAndre Ayton. He didn't want to be there. Let I remind you at the beginning of this, this year, the Suns put out an offer sheet to see if anybody would match it. The Pacers did. DeAndre Ayton did jumping jacks. He was happy he could go to the Pacers, and the Suns came in at the last second and brought him back. Look at, go look at his signing photos. He doesn't look happy. The guy wanted a fresh start. He's tired of what it was, what it was in Phoenix. So a guy who's clocked in and out like that throughout the season isn't going to be the guy during the playoffs. And I know I said Devin Booker isn't the guy to be with Kevin Durant. And you see that. You still need Chris Paul. Like, think about that. I don't think Devin Booker's terrible. I don't think he's bad. That's not what I'm saying. But Kevin Durant needed a Steph Curry. Kevin Durant needs a LeBron James. That Devin Booker's not on that level. Sure, he gave him 28. And sure, they've had two other wins in this series. But the problem is, is Kevin Durant came into the fold late. They looked good. He wasn't completely healthy. But if they don't do it this year, Chris Paul gets older. Aiton is shipped off. I don't know if Durant comes back. So there's a lot of questions. Devin Booker has been there without Durant, but he's not been there without Chris Paul. So the Suns are going to have a lot of questions at the end of this year. Whether they win this series or lose it, I don't think Aiton comes back. I don't know if Chris Paul comes back. 
and with how flimsy Kevin Durant is with signings, I don't know if Kevin Durant will come back either. Kevin Durant hasn't found his home. He found his home, but he was too ashamed to live in it. He found a, a comfortable home in San Jose, just outside of San Francisco, playing with the Golden State Warriors after OKC. They won, they won two titles there, but he felt like he needed to be his own guy because of Twitter and because of the media. He could have, they all could have collectively taken a pay cut and still be on top of the world. They won a championship without him, and they won one before and one after him. They've done four. He was there for two, but he was comfortable there. But he let the voices of the outside world push him out of his home. He thought, I'll go to the big city. I'll go to Brooklyn. I'll be the guy with Kyrie and Harden. Kind of the Harden-Kevin Durant reunion uh, from OKC. We'll put it back up in Brooklyn. We'll have Kyrie. That didn't work out. So he wanted to blow it all up, and they said, uh-uh, we'll just trade you down. So I don't know if he's found a home in Phoenix. He might like it. A lot of people do. A lot of people love Phoenix. It's warm. There's a lot of things to do. He might, he might enjoy it there because he's not so much in the spotlight. And that's what it was when he was in Golden State. When he was with Golden State, there was a lot of microscopes under with him. But Steph Curry could take a little bit away from him. Draymond Green could take a little bit of, of it away from him. And it allowed him to be at somewhat of peace. When he went over to Brooklyn, the New York media just ate him alive. Constantly belligerent the fact that he was the guy in Brooklyn. So here in Phoenix, Booker's you know more of in the limelight. DeAndre Ayton's more in that light. And Chris Paul's more in that light. And they're just happy that he's there. Again, Phoenix is considered, I don't know if it's considered small market anymore, but it, it certainly has when you have Los Angeles a little bit more west. They are the, the, the little brothers as far as media goes to LA. So Kevin Durant might come back. I don't know. I don't know what Kevin Durant is going to do, and I don't know what Chris Paul is going to do. How many, how many more years can Chris Paul take? This constant, you know, with him being injured as much as he is, how much more of this can he take? DeAndre Ayton was clocked out already. He's tried to buy in sometimes, you know, when you see him on social media, but I don't, I don't buy a minute of it. He'll ship off before you know it. And so a little bit of a rebuild, just like I think. With the next uh, two teams that we talk about, how that happens with the Lakers and Warriors. But I, if Denver wins this series, there has, there's going to be some sort of implosion, I believe, in Phoenix. There will be some sort of in, implosion if they don't win the title flat out. A lot of questions will have to be answered. So the last game, the game that's tonight... Warriors and the Lakers. I'll tell you this much. Vegas really loves the Warriors tonight. They're seven and a half favorites tonight to keep the series alive. I, I, I just think with every win that Golden State has, I said it on the surge yesterday on EP Sports Network. I'll say it again. With every win 
from this point on that you give to the Warriors, the more dangerous this becomes. The next two games, if if the Warriors get past tonight and they somehow get past into game six and win that one, I don't believe the Lakers win anymore. But the Warriors are missing a big. When Anthony Davis is on, when AD's on, he's he's on. Lonnie Walker the fourth was terrific last game. Was probably the main reason why they won. But I the, the Warriors are missing a big. Think about it. When when you think of the Sixers, you think of Embiid. Big. When you think of Miami, you think Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo, big. With Boston, Robert Williams is a big who's been productive but not healthy, but Tatum and Horford are are big. Big dudes. You think of LA, you think LeBron AD, big dudes. Think of the Suns, DeAndre A and Kevin Durant, big dudes. You think of Denver. Jokic, big dude. Who's the big dude in in Golden State? Nobody. Kevon Looney, but he's not. I'm talking about a guy who can give you a double-double on a nightly basis, flirt with a triple-double in some areas. I'm talking about a big who's an offensive threat. Looney is not that. They're missing, they're missing a big down low. That's, that's always been their thing. They've won so many times with small ball, and they've gotten rid of it. But I think now, more than ever, with everybody collectively sort of having some kind of big they're just missing. They're missing that one piece that would just make them unstoppable. They live and die by the three, and no other team can do it. No other team in the NBA lives and dies off that three-point arc like Golden State. I understand that. That's what's got them four titles, but I just think this year is a year where they may, may have been missing one. And I, I don't know... I don't know if I can see Golden State ripping off three. But with every every win that they have here on forward, it, it becomes more and more difficult. Especially with the other side of LeBron in, at his age. and But not even so much of that, but more of Anthony Davis, who cannot consistently keep playing. Playing than having a night off. Playing than having a night off. I just don't think... AD's built like that anymore. His body will break down before they can get to game seven, which would really implode LA. There's just no depth behind Anthony Davis as far as a big goes. That would really hinder LA. So I worry about AD's health. I still like the Lakers. I think I liked the Warriors before the series, but now I'm starting to lean Lakers. So we'll see where that goes. But it's just hard to it's hard to think that LeBron would blow a three one lead. I don't want to look at Twitter and I don't want to know the dialogues of ESPN or Bleacher Report or TNT or any of those those market shows. And he tried to imagine the dialogue if LeBron was somehow to blow a 3-1 lead. I just don't, I don't want to know what that life is like. You would give so much uh, 
the Michael Jordan lovers and LeBron haters who are lumped into the same circle just based off of those two men, the amount of fuel they would have. We already had Stephen A. Smith talking about if Steph beats LeBron and wins a title, that to take LeBron off of Mount Rushmore and enter Steph Curry. That, to me, it's nonsense. Well, what isn't nonsense, though, is Steph has changed the game. LeBron didn't change the game. He changed how you had to defend guys like him and Giannis. So, yeah, he changed it a bit, but not everybody's going to be 6'8", 270. But a lot of guys are going to be 6'3", 6'4", 6'2". There's a lot more guys like that that are built like Steph. Go, go to a YMCA, go to a rec center when you know youth leagues are playing. You don't see the drive spin of a LeBron. You see them taking ridiculously long shots from the outside. Steph has changed the game. I know it was a problem when I had to coach youth sports. Everybody wanted to shoot threes when Golden State was at its peak. When it was KD, when it was Clay, when it was Curry, and they were just ramming off threes like it was open practice. I remember youth kids, they just wanted to do that. Wanted to rip threes. Couldn't make layups. Couldn't hit free throws. Couldn't do around the world in the paint. But when they came to practice and started shooting, it was threes. But it doesn't mean Steph belongs on Mount Rushmore, even if he beats LeBron and wins another one. There's too many greats even then for a Mount Rushmore, in my opinion. Basketball has seen a ton of great athletes where I think it's ridiculous that we have these Mount Rushmore debates where we have these best player of all time debates. Every generation has had a great player. and We just can't seem to respect the greatness of each era. We have to sit here, and it's always going to be Michael and LeBron. For a while, it was Kobe, LeBron, Michael, and then people would bring in other parts of, of Magic and Larry and Dr. J and, and Patrick Ewing and name all kinds of guys. Why can't we just love every era for what it was? I believe for a while, Reggie Miller was really on top of the world. Then Kobe Bryant came, then Shaq got onto the scene. Then it was Tim Duncan. It was the Pistons. Then it was LeBron. And LeBron held that spot for so long. And then it was Steph Curry. Now it's other guys. Now, now we starting to, we're starting to look at Devin Booker and Joker and Embiid and, and Luka Dantich. We're looking at a, at a new generation. But LeBron was on top of the basketball world for so long, and then Curry came along. Regardless, both of those guys are so good. I just enjoy the greatness of what it is that it's going to be tonight. You're going to have LeBron with his killer instinct trying to close this out, and you're going to have Steph trying to keep his team alive. Steph is going to have one of his better games, I believe, trying to keep them in the fold. But I just don't see it going to seven, but I might be wrong. Either way, I'm looking forward to the conference finals for both of these when it's over. I think the Heat are just waiting on 
the Sixers and Celtics, and I don't know what's happening in the West. I think there's just a wide open door. It's crazy, right? The Heat were the eighth seed, and I'm thinking, well, the only one that I'm really uh, confident in being in the finals is the eighth seed Miami Heat. Think about that. So we're waiting on the Celtics. We're waiting on the Sixers to see what will happen there. We're waiting on Denver Suns. We're waiting on the Lakers Warriors. Everything else is so open. I don't remember when it's been this open. So uh, now I just don't. I'm trying to think when's the last time it was like this. And maybe the bubble uh, allowed it to be that open just because of the circumstances. But still, I, I don't remember. And I'm trying to think. And I just don't. So uh, now switching to what I believe is the king of all kings is the NFL. Some of the schedule, uh, the schedule drops on Thursday, 8 p.m. Eastern. Some of the games have already been uh, released. They're, they're overseas, Christmas, New Year's, etc. Um, but there was a couple of changes, I, I believe, uh, to this season. Which the NFL will have a Black Friday game for the first time ever. Normally, that belongs to, uh, I believe, Black Friday belongs to college football, uh, but it's the NFL. It will triumph. It'll tramp over that. But NFL will have a Black Friday game for the first time ever. Games are going to be free agents this year. So that that's another that's another mix up. That's a huge mix up. Games don't necessarily belong to the networks anymore. All games are free agents. And then the big one, teams can be on Thursday night football twice. I don't know. The players have always had a struggle with it being Thursday night once. I don't know how it could be twice, but it can be on Thursday night football twice. And not all teams are guaranteed to have a primetime spot. That was always a huge thing is trying to, I guess, sort of quote unquote, figure out. Uh, the primetime matchups. So the the bigger the Black Friday was announced, but here is the full slate of the five international games that will happen in the 2023 season. You'll have the Falcons at visiting the Jaguars. That'll be in London. The Jaguars are a huge hit in London. They're a huge hit overseas. That's why they're always over there. People always wonder why did they send Jacksonville? There, Jacksonville has been a team that uh, across the pond, those fans have become very attached to them. And so, could they move over there permanently? I don't know. But the NFL seems to be very intrigued by Jacksonville and the relationship with overseas, and it might open the door for an expansion. We know that that's coming, right? Like, if you don't know, you know now. At some point or another, the NFL is going to move, if not one, but two teams overseas. They're going to move two or they're going to expand on two, I believe, to the UK. If not just the UK, but also Germany. They're going to put one in Germany. They're going to put one probably in London. That'll take it to 34. Then the other one might be Mexico City which would put you at 35. So there has to be another team 
down the line somewhere in the United States. But it's coming. Within 10 years, we're going to have two teams across the pond, and we'll have one team just south of us. So it's Atlanta versus Jacksonville. That's the first one. And then look what I just talked to you about. Back in London, literally after week four, Jacksonville will probably stay in London okay? because they play week four. Week five, it is the Jaguars and Bills. I, I probably... Uh, I would probably assume Jacksonville is staying for two weeks. So uh, the Jags will count the first game as a home. They'll count this one as a road game for scheduling purposes. But yeah, that's what it is. Jacksonville is loved over there. So they'll stay. And then week six, which could be interesting, Baltimore versus Tennessee. That's back in London. So that'll be a good one for the fans over there. I don't remember the last time they were there. And then the, I think the most interesting one in Frankfurt, Germany is week nine, Miami and Kansas City. And I say interesting because Miami is not that bad of a team, but how healthy will Tua be? And how will Kansas City look? But you know for a fact in Frankfurt, it's going to be packed uh, because Kansas City is there. Week 10 is the Colts and Patriots. That's also in Frankfurt. I believe that'll be packed as well just because New England has a good following over there. So that's all five of those wrapped up internationally. The Jaguars having two. So that that's with that. And then some of the other matchups that have been released is Tua versus Aaron Rodgers. Week 12 at 3 p.m. Eastern, November 24th. You know, think about what is that. Think about when that time is. That's around Thanksgiving. Miami at New York. And then the Giants, the football Giants on Christmas, will play the Eagles. That's, uh, those are always, those are always, Ah man, the Giants—they're—they're they're such a toss-up. I like the Black Friday of Aaron Rodgers and Tua more than I like the Giants at Philadelphia. But Brian Dable—he's done a better job. But on Christmas, to me, Christmas belonged to the NBA for so long. I don't know why the NFL is just trying to trample over everything and anything that is related to a holiday. But Giants at Philadelphia—it just depends on where Daniel Jones is, really. <laughs> That's the big thing, man. They paid him $45 million. I don't believe Daniel Jones is worth $45 million, but they got their guy. Dabo loves him. Dabo loves him. So eh, not the greatest Christmas one, but I do like this New Year's, New Year's Eve matchup. For the fifth time, the Bengals and Chiefs will ring it in once again. It's going to be the AFC Championship game rematch. It's going to be late in the season, too, week 17. I love that. Right around playoff time where that, that game's going to matter. I know we have 19 weeks, but that game potentially might have some home field advantage uh, ramifications. I like that matchup the most. I guess the least favorite out of all those on Christmas is the Giants-Eagles. It's just bleh. So we'll see. I do like the Black Friday matchup of Miami and New York. 
So the scheduling, why is the NFL schedule such a big thing now when maybe a few years ago it wasn't? It's because the NFL is so good at what it does with the draft. Imagine if your team has a super good draft, they have a good offseason, they do everything correctly. Now you're excited. Now, for someone like me who's a Steeler fan, it's hard to get to Pittsburgh. It's hard to plan a road trip. It's hard to get the flights, the hotel, everything. But if there's a game that matches up well for me to get out there, then yeah, maybe I go out there. So just picture that for all the fans here across the United States. When it comes to their team having a great offseason, great draft, you're just ready. You're ready to see where you can go. And it's sort of become on that day, the schedule will drop on Thursday at six o'clock. It's become a big thing on social media, how the social media managers of each sports team, how they uh, you know, announce it with a video and things like that. It's been a huge thing for uh, at least three or four years. But just picture all the, all the fans that are just ready to go. They're ready to get on Ticketmaster. They're ready to get on, uh, you know, look for a flight, look for a hotel. They want to know. And I, I mentioned the Steelers because they haven't played a home game in week one in eight years. The last time the Steelers kicked off the season at home, 2014 against the Browns. 2014, a lot of, a lot of teams thrive off of week one openers. It's been eight years. So I'm excited to see if they finally get one this year. Will they finally get a home game in week one? But I know those tickets are going to be so expensive because it's a rarity for Steelers to have a week one opener. They usually open in week two. And sometimes they've even opened up in week three. But it's been since 2014. So that's why it's a huge thing because it's exciting for a lot of people, especially Steeler fans like myself who believe this year that'll be more competitive. So it, there's definitely excitement, but there's excitement across a, the pond, across the entire United States. When the schedule comes out, it's an opportunity for you to jump on cheaper deals as far as flights go, as far as hotels go, and getting that all figured out before anybody else does. For the hotels figured out, before the, the airline company figures it out, it's a chance to jump on it sooner and, and maybe give yourself a price point as to what it'll cost you to get out there and watch your team. And then two, the, the away games. The away games are big. Like for somebody like me, I when the Steelers come west, last year they stayed on, on the entire East Coast. But when they come to like Vegas, when they come to Phoenix, Los Angeles, something like that, where a Southwest flight isn't too expensive and a hotel isn't too bad, where it could be manageable. So that's why the NFL has, has done a great job of capitalizing on schedule release on the draft. It just drums up the excitement after you've missed uh, football for so long. They, they get your interest back up. They get your excitement back up. Then they, they are able to cash in early. They'll cash in in May for September. The NFL has done it extremely well. And that's why it's a big thing. And that's why tomorrow there'll be a lot of drops on Twitter, a lot of hints and a lot of, uh, you know, according to sources, breaking news, things of that nature. People are going to try to get that schedule before it drops so they can potentially start making plans. 
Next week on the bus stop, I got a very special guest. I'm honored to have him. Been working for him, been working with him for some time. He's a Hall of Famer in the El Paso world. He's a great, great guy, uh, great coach in his time. And we'll have a topic of discussion about him and we'll talk some other things here. But he will be our first guest next week, Coach Tony Grijalva, here on the bus stop. So stay tuned for that next week but thank you for joining me this week don't forget to like subscribe give us a rating on wherever you get this podcast and stay tuned here on the bus stop